0: the ultimate gift in Jesus Christ in his blood shed for our sin his sacrifice on our behalf the payment to satisfy your justice we know that you are holy and we are not and yet because of Christ we can we can be a part of the family we are accepted we are loved We thank you for this precious gift. We thank you for the privilege of being here together today. We pray that your word would speak clearly to us. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks, folks. You can have a seat. When I was a kid, I had a set of dominoes. I can still remember the box that they came in, a little red box. It was kind of oh, two, two and a half inches wide and a foot long or so. I remember loving to take that box of dominoes and and I would set them up in a line, of course. As a kid, I didn't know that there were actual games that you played with dominoes. I thought they were made to just set up and knock down. And so that's what I did with them. I would set them up you know, and tap the front one and watch them and have varying rates of success and you would figure out how far apart, how close together they need to be and make little shapes. And, and uh, I don't know, there were probably 25, 30 dominoes in that box and uh, had a lot of fun doing that. You know that there are people who spend their whole lives setting up dominoes and knocking them over? You know what the world record is for a domino... Knocking over. I don't know what it's called. (laughs) Chain reactions with dominoes. 78,017 dominoes is the current world record. It took 18 people 10 days to set them all up. Of course, it only took about five minutes to knock them all down, but... Now, of course, usually dominoes are all the same size, right? That's what my set was like. They were all, you know, inch and a half, two inches tall and about an inch wide or so. They're all the same size. But did you know that a domino, a falling domino, has the ability to knock something, to knock another domino over that's 50% larger than it is? Fascinating stuff, A two-inch domino can knock over a three-inch domino, which can knock over a -a four-and-a-half-inch domino, which can knock over a -a six-and-a-quarter-inch domino, and so on and so forth. If you did that, and people have done experiments with dominoes that are 15, 20 feet high in doing this, if you were to do this, by the time you got to the 18th domino, there would be enough force to knock over the leaning tower of Pisa. It's already leaning, so that's kind of cheating. But if you go to 23 dominoes each time, increasing it by 50%, by the 23rd domino, there's enough force to knock over the Eiffel Tower. By the time you got to the 29th domino, you'd have enough force to knock over the Empire State Building. I know, so what? (laughs) Why does any of that matter? Well, I'm going to say something to you this morning that you might think is crazy or you might think sounds impossible, but I believe that all of the massive problems of this world can be solved. All of the racial tension in this world all of the social injustice, all of the poverty in this world can be solved. As I was just driving here earlier this morning, I had the radio on. And I heard a little clip about someone who was spending their life calling for the end of human trafficking especially in regard to little children? Why does someone have to dedicate their life to helping people understand that we shouldn't be selling children into slavery? Why is that necessary? Because we live in a selfish, evil world. But all of those problems are solvable. And you could hear that and you could think, well, that's, it's not possible. It's too vast. Those, those things are too entrenched. It's too big. But with Christ's power and presence and strength, it can be done. Just like a domino can knock over another domino that's 50% larger than itself, every time you make a godly choice, it does not just affect your life. There is an increased effect in the lives of people who are around you. One of the lies that our society tells us is this one You live your life however you want because it's your life and it doesn't matter and it doesn't hurt anybody else. That's a lie. Everything that we do not only affects us, but it affects the people that are around us. And we can often think of that in a negative context, but I want you this morning to think about it in a positive context, in a godly, spiritually uplifting context. When you make a right decision, it changes your life, but it impacts the lives of the people around you as well. And we chip away at the pain and the sin and the evil in this world. And it may not look like much. When you knock that two-inch domino over and it knocks a three-inch domino over, you're saying what? Whoopee. Who cares? But by the time that 23rd one goes and you see the Eiffel Tower fall on the ground, you know you got something, right? Right? things start happening, sometimes that we never even know about. And the way that we choose to live reverberates into the lives of those that are around us. Well, this passage this morning in Colossians 3 is about changing our perspective. It's about looking up and out instead of down and in. And as always, we're answering the question, what does it mean to look like, or what does it mean rather to be in Christ? I want you to consider this fact this morning or this statement that because we're in Christ, we refocus our entire lives. That's what Paul is going to talk about here in this passage. So let's look and see what God has to say through Paul. We're going to break this section down into four bite-sized chunks here so we can understand it this morning. First of all, I want you to see Paul's thesis in the first two verses, if then... You have been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. This is Paul's thesis. You know what a thesis is, right? A thesis is a statement or a theory that is to be proved. So this is Paul's statement, Paul is saying since Christ has saved us, the focus of our lives should be good things, pure things, godly things. This is a change of focus because we're used to doing our own thing. We're used to taking care of things for ourselves and doing the things that we want to do. Paul says we need to seek the things that are above, that is, search for them, inquire after them. It implies some effort. By the way, everybody on this earth, including everyone that is in this room, is always seeking and searching for something. Everyone is. Even if we're not consciously thinking about it, we're searching for something. We're searching for affirmation, or we're searching for acceptance, or intimacy, or love, or power, or affluence, or whatever it is, We're all seeking for something. Something that will meet our needs. That's the way that we think. This is my life. I have to take care of myself. I have to do what I need to to make sure I have what I need. And Paul's saying if we're in Christ, we need to refocus, not on ourselves. But on things that are above, he says, set your mind on these things. That is, understand them, think about them. Because we're in Christ, we need to refocus our entire lives. And I know some of you are probably sitting there saying, well, you know, hey, that's great, Mike. That's great for you. I mean, you're a pastor. Obviously, everything in your life should be focused on Christ. But this doesn't have anything to do with me. I'm just a regular person. This isn't about me. Actually, it is about you. It's about all of us. Paul is writing here to Christ's followers. He's not writing to pastors. He's not writing to elders. He's writing to everyone that is in Christ. I want you to see Paul's reasoning that's his thesis. He's got to prove it. So here's his reasoning in verses three and four. For you have Christ, or you have died, sorry. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Why should we live this way? Why does this thesis, why does this theory of this statement make any sense why should we be doing this? Because Paul says, you've died to your old life. And Jesus has given you a new one. Have you ever used this line? I hope you don't use it very much, but let's say it this way. Maybe you've been watching a movie and you, or a TV show and you heard somebody say this. Ever heard somebody say, you're dead to me? Ever heard that? I know you've never said that to anyone, but you're dead to me. What does that mean? It means it's over between you and me. we got nothing left to talk about. There's no reason for us to be together anymore. It's done. And that's what Paul is saying here. This old life is dead to me. It's done. And Christ has given us a new life. But look at the verse. Look at verse 3. It's right on the screen. He's given us a new life. But where is it? Where is our new life? No readers in the crowd this morning. It's hidden, right? See the verse? For you have died, and your life is what? Hidden with Christ in God. That phrase, hidden with Christ, means wrapped up in Him, concealed in Him. Have you ever been at this point in your life as a Christ follower? For those of you who know Christ here this morning, have you ever been at the point where you know that you know Christ, you know that you're a Christian, you know that you believe in God, that God exists, the Bible is true, and all that stuff? But you're really, really miserable. anybody ever felt that way? I have. Or you've known someone who says, "Oh yeah, I'm a Christ follower. Yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I believe in God," but they're incredibly miserable. You know why that is? You know why you feel that way? Because you're looking for your life in the wrong place. Here's what happens. We die to our old life. We have new life that is hidden with Christ in God. That's where your new life is. But guess what happens after we trust Christ sometimes? We walk with him for a little while. Guess where we start looking for our life again? back in the world, back in the old system, back in the old ways, where we left it instead of looking for it in Christ. We're miserable because we're looking in the wrong place. Paul says your life is hidden with Christ in God. And if we focus on the old life while we're supposed to be living in Christ, we're going to be miserable. We're not going to be able to find it And we're going to ask ourselves, why am I doing this? Let me ask it this way. Have you ever said, yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I'm a believer. Yeah, I believe in God. I believe in the Bible. But why am I doing this? You ever done that before? Why am I still doing this? Why am I still trying to do what's right? Paul says, when Christ returns your true life will be revealed. My friends, listen to me. I have no doubt, absolutely not one shred of doubt that when Christ returns, when we are, as John says in 1 John 3, with him and we see Christ, I have not one bit of doubt that we will know that it has been worth it. Whatever it is that God has called us to do in this world, Though no one join me, still I will follow. The cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back, it will be worth it. This is what we've been living for. But of course right now we can't see all that. That's where faith comes in. We're frustrated because we're still trying to find our lives in this world. And I have to tell you this, guys, that this kind of hybrid, halfway Christianity is found nowhere in God's Word. Oh, I'm a Christian. Oh, I believe in God, but I just do my own thing. Nowhere. Nowhere. When we see God's people in His Word, when we see the Christian life described in His Scripture, in the truth, it's the whole way. It's everything, not just part way. Well, what is our response to be? Look at verse 5. Here's the Christ follower's response. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you, put them all, you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Don't lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. What is our response? What should we do? Paul says there in verse 5, we should put the old behaviors to death. Put the old motivations away. This is a conscious effort to make the choice. The choice to refocus our entire lives and live in a way that reflects who God wants me to be you see the first thing there in Paul's big list is sexual immorality there are 3 or 4 times in in Paul's letters where he makes lists like this of behaviors that have no place in the Christ follower's life and this word is in every one of those lists that's translated here sexual immorality it's really it's a broad word and it literally means if we go down into the meanings of the root words it literally means selling off your purity. He's talking about adultery. He's talking about lust. He's talking about any kind of sexual activity outside of marriage. and impurity, uncleanness of our hearts and our minds and our mouths, evil desires and covetousness. And then he says, all of these things are idolatry. See, the problem is that when we engage in these things, we're following our own desires instead of God's desires. And so who is the king? Self is the king. It's king me instead of king Jesus in my life. It's idolatry. In verse 6, he says that God, because of his holiness, is going to punish sin one day. Because of this, the wrath of God is coming. Verse 7, he says, this is the way that we used to live. Again, referring to the past and the change that is necessary. In verses 8 and 9, he says, but now everything is different. Put these things away from you. The picture here, the word that is used in this passage is the word for taking off a set of dirty clothes. I made a big mistake yesterday at about 11 o'clock. At the height of the heat and the humidity, I decided it would be a good time to mow my lawn. And I have a 12-year-old push mower and a lawn that has a lot of side hills on it. About every 20 minutes, I had to find some shade and sit down and drink a bottle of water. (laughs) At one point, I didn't know if I was going to make it. I came inside when I was done, and I said, I am spent. And Melody said, I don't doubt that. You look like you're going to die. (laughs) I hope you don't have a heart attack. And my clothes were soaked, and they were filthy, grass clippings all over, and all the dust and dirt from the yard was sticking to me because I was so gross I went in the bathroom and I had to peel off those clothes and get into the shower and get cleaned up and put on clean clothes because I couldn't walk around like that. Certainly Melody didn't want to be near me and nobody would have. And that's what Paul is saying. He says, it's so disgusting for one who has died to this life and who has a new life that's hidden in Christ to walk around in these disgusting clothes these filthy things of lying and anger and slander and obscenities coming out of our mouths and lust in our hearts and minds and our actions. Verse 10, he says we need to put on a new set of clothes, a new way of living by being renewed after the image of our Creator. This is a process, isn't it? It <laughs> doesn't happen just like that. A process of being changed. Look at verse 11. Here's the amazing result. If all of these things are true, verse 11, Paul says, here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all This verse gets slipped over in Colossians chapter 3 because there's so many momentous things that happen here there's so much great truth in this verse but I think this might be the most amazing verse in the whole passage Here he says literally in such a place in what kind of place In a place where these things are happening, friends. In a place where Christ followers are serious about living their new life that is hidden in Christ and putting away their old life and all those disgusting behaviors. In that place, notice what he says there's no Jew or Greek. In other words, race and nationality, ethnicity, doesn't matter. He says there's no circumcised or uncircumcised. That is, your religious background doesn't matter, doesn't matter where you've come from spiritually. He says there's no barbarian or Scythian. Barbarians, as you might imagine, were roving packs of vile men who went from village to village, pillaging, killing, maiming, plundering. They were not civilized. They had no education. Or Scythian. Scythians were known to be evildoers. In many parts of their culture, past lifestyle doesn't matter. And no slave or free. In Paul's day, there were a lot of slavery. There was a lot of slavery, but most of it was bond service, which meant if you had a debt, you would be bonded to the person that you owed the money to, and you would work until the money was paid off. That meant you were poor. Paul says, There's no slave or free. In other words, economic status doesn't matter. Friends, what all these things have in common is that they're all earthly, they're all temporary, they're all physical, and they all have to do with this world. But the Christ follower doesn't focus on these things. We refocus on Christ because that's where our life is. Because you're in Christ, you need to refocus your entire life. Your real life, your new life is wrapped up in Christ. And when we live that way, and this is why all of this matters, everything that we've said in the past 20 minutes, this is why this matters. Because when we live that way, there is unity here. There is unity here in this body, in the church. What does he say at the end of that verse, verse 11? He says, Christ is all and in all. If we had more time, we could go over to Acts chapter 2. This is the beginning of the church. The Holy Spirit has come. Peter has preached God's word. 3,000 people got saved And the last few verses of Acts 2, describe what the church was like, what the body of believers was like. They were all worshiping together. They were all listening to the apostles teach together. They were all praying together. They were eating together. They were making sure everyone else in the body had everything that they needed. There was no lack. There was no need. Why was that? Is it because everybody was the same? No. Is it because everyone was equal? No. Is it because everyone came from the same place? No. Because everyone had the same nationality? No. It was all good in that church because everyone was focused on the eternal. It was all good. There was no racial tension in the church because everybody said, hey, that doesn't matter. What matters is Christ. There were no arguments about anyone's spiritual history because they all had Christ. There were no insults about education or lack of it, or their checkered past, because they were all in Christ. There was no one who had an abundance while someone else didn't have enough to care for their families, because they were all together in Christ. Friends, listen. Where Christ is all, and in all, there is freedom. Where Christ is all and in all, there is selflessness. Where Christ is all and in all, there is sacrifice. Where Christ is all and in all, there is confidence in a sure future because your perspective is different. You're not clinging and clutching and grasping. You're not fighting and clawing and scrapping for everything that the world has to offer. You're not too busy to help someone who has need because it's okay if you'd spend one less hour working. You don't decide not to help someone financially because you're worried about having 20 more bucks in your pocket. You're not worried about speaking the truth to someone who needs it because of what they might say, because you know that what matters is in eternity and not here. You know there is something far better to come. But you can only live that way if Christ is all to you. We need to follow Christ's lead. That's what Christ did when he came to earth, right? Had no home, had no possessions, no nothing. He just had a task, a mission, to share the truth with as many as possible and then to sacrifice everything for us. When we live that way, my friends, none of these other things matter because our focus is eternity. We are embracing eternity. We are considering eternity and not the here and now.